And luckily, we were in the same canoe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Luckily for you, because I kept paddling and wondering why we weren't going faster. And I would look back and you would have you had your uh, paddle dragging in the water. Not only were you not paddling. You were slowing us down. Well, here's the thing. I believe you said I was the rudder. So isn't that what the rudder anchor. does? It steers. An- did you anchor. <laughs> you said I was an anchor. <laughs> I, I would never call you a rudder. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We are the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today's episode is our monthly mailbag episode, and we have some really great questions in store for you. Do we ever not have really great questions? (laughs) Are we ever going to do a mailbag where the questions suck? No, never. They're all really great all the time. Okay, good. (laughs) In this episode, we'll be discussing some of the parks that turned out to be so much more than we expected as well as parks that we thought the cost to visit outweighed the experience. We answer a question about whether or not camping reservations are necessary in Olympic National Park in the summer, and how many days are ideal to spend in Congaree National Park. Plus, we share tips on how to see some of the aquatic national parks, and lastly, explain which hike has been our most difficult one to date. I get tired just thinking about that hike. (laughs) So do I. (laughs) So a lot of great stuff coming up next. The mailbag episodes are great because there are so many topics or things we want to talk about that just don't fit into a category for a for a full episode. So the mailbag gives us a chance to cover a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, specific questions relating to specific parks that, yeah, like you said, there's not enough info to talk for 45 minutes to an hour about it. But but there are some really great questions about specific things to do in the parks. Yeah, I love mailbag. I love it for a lot of reasons. <laughs> tips and tricks. That's right. We should call it tips and tricks, <laughs> which... <laughs> Am I tips or tricks? <laughs> you are definitely tricks. Okay. <laughs> All right, Karen, what's in the mailbag today? Okay, our first question comes from Randall in Kent, Ohio, and he asks us, is there a National Park Service site that you have been to that turned out to be so much more than you were expecting? An example for me is Agate Fossil Beds National Monument in Nebraska. Thanks, y'all. Well, to start with, I would love to go to an agate fossil bed. I know you would. Yeah, because there's one, and I forget where it is, maybe in Oregon or I I don't know. It's somewhere we keep passing it on all of our driving trips, but we never have time. There's like a big hand-painted sign that says agates with a big (laughs) arrow, and the arrow like goes down a road that you can't even see where it ends up. So 
Thank you for that tip. Someday we'll have to get to agate fossil beds in I Nebraska. Know. Apparently, Randall really liked it. I guess. So I think we should each answer this question, Matt, because we have varied opinions. <laughs> okay, okay about Karen. <laughs> I think the park that blew me away the most was Carlsbad Caverns. That's surprising. I know. Surprising I know you're shocked you to hear that. that. Because I was expecting, and again, I'd never been in a cave, but you know, my image of what Carlsbad Caverns would be like, I thought it would be like low ceilings and really dark and damp and kind of scary. And then you and go. What and, part of that's not true? <laughs> <laughs> you go down there on the elevator and it's just this explosion of light and magic. And I thought it was incredible. And it was Are you so... saying it explodes? <laughs> There's explosions down there? Is that no, what you're saying? I should clarify that, though, for those of you who haven't been there. The, the Park Service has done an incredible job with the lighting of all of these um, cave features in the big room. So it is not dark and dreary at all. It's spectacular. And I think it's magical. And so Carlsbad Caverns was probably the most wow park for me as far as the national parks. And then as far as national monuments, my wow park would be Chiricahua National Monument in Arizona. We've talked about that on several different podcast episodes. That was a complete surprise how great that park was and the whole wonderland of rocks. Um, So those are some of my top picks, although there are just way too many to list. Well, I think that's really the answer is about half the parks we went to exceeded our expectations. A few that I would put atop on my list, the Needles District of Canyonlands. Oh, yeah. Uh, we didn't even know about that for several visits to that area. And it's one of our favorite kind of desert areas to hike in. Another one is North Cascades National Park. We have found lots of hikes that are spectacular. The Sahali Glacier, some of the other hikes that we do when we go look for larches in the fall mm-hmm. that are either right on the border of the park or, or a little bit into the park. And so North Cascades National Park. And then another one, I think it surprised us both, was Lassen Volcanic. Oh, yes, it did. I had no idea that part of it would look similar to Yellowstone. I didn't know about those thermal features. It's like a baby Yellowstone. It was like a baby but they Yellowstone. But they don't have bison. And then, of course, you know, it's got all that northern California beauty. It has mountains and trees and lakes. And that was definitely a surprise for us, a really good surprise. Yeah, we could probably do a whole episode on other surprises, but that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of the theme of our entire podcast. All the episodes are these great, cool places that we found to tell people about. That's right. So thank you for your question, Randall. And we really appreciate knowing about agate fossil beds. It's now on our list. All right, moving on to our next question. This comes from Karen and Scott in Pennsylvania. And Karen wrote to us, My husband and I will be renting a camper van midsummer for 10 days around the Pacific Northwest. We will be going counterclockwise around Olympic National Park, and we have a priority list of where we want to hike, but no reserved campsites. Although I don't like to overplan for trips like this, I do like to know where I will be sleeping each night. My husband, on the other hand, wants to stop and sleep wherever we feel like it with limited plans. So what are your thoughts for leaving three nights in the Olympic National Park section wide open with no campsite reservations? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I understand this question because when we first started going to all the national parks, I was adamant about 
having a reservation every single night and knowing what we're going to do every day. And in the 10 or 11 years since, I've almost gone completely the other direction where there's something exciting about just leaving it open and seeing what happens and, and staying wherever. I'm not completely to that side of the spectrum. Uh, so I, I understand both sides of this question. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it's nice to be spontaneous because you don't know where you're going to end up at the end of each day. But on the flip side, summer in Olympic National Park is extremely crowded. And I think it is going to be tough to find a campsite. Now, if it makes you feel any better, Karen, most of Olympic National Park's campgrounds don't take reservations. The only ones that do are Claylock and Mora. Uh, those are the only NPS-operated campgrounds that take reservations. And then there are two privately run campgrounds, Solduck Hot Springs Resort and Log Cabin Resort campgrounds. Those also take reservations. But the rest of them are first come, first surf. Now, one of the great things about Olympic National Park and that whole Olympic Peninsula is there are other public lands adjacent. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of national forest also. So there's there's other options that they're outside of the park, but they're very, very close to the park itself. That's right. And most people are looking for campgrounds in the park itself, and they don't think about the national forest. So I think you might have some good luck there. When we did our first car camping trip over there, it was 4th of July weekend, and we were nervous because we didn't have any reservations, and we stopped first at Fairholme Campground, which is right on Lake Crescent. It was not only was it completely full, it was <laughs> wild. Yeah, it was like a party <laughs> scene was, for sure. It was definitely a party. <laughs> but just down the road, you switch over into the National Forest, and we stopped at Klahalia. And there were several open spots. And that was a great little campsite. Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Right uh, on the river? It, in, in the trees. Yeah, we had fun there. Now, it wasn't party central, but... Which it, is we, fine we, by we, us. <laughs> we, that, yeah, we didn't want that for that particular trip, so that was fine. I would definitely add the National Forest Campgrounds to your list. They're on all different sides of the park, so depending on where you end up. And I think the other issue you might have, if you're renting a camper van, if I'm understanding that right, this isn't something you can drop off like a um, like a trailer. So you're going to be pulling into these campgrounds at the end of the day, right? After, I'm assuming after they've hiked. Yeah. And that's going to be tough to get. I think the secret is getting there in the morning as people are leaving. Or what you can do is you go get your campsite. And a lot of times they have a little place at the front of the campsite where they you put the permit. So people coming through know it's taken. You leave a lawn chair there. Mm -hmm. That's um, true. Now, sometimes people just move the lawn chairs off to the side and, and then set up. But usually that doesn't happen because a lot of other people are doing the same thing. They're in the vehicle that they're going to sleep in. So it's common courtesy. If people have left their stuff and they've claimed that site, no one's going to disturb it. Yeah, that's a good point. So good luck on that. Also, take a good look at the Olympic National Park website, their list of campgrounds, because when I was just looking at it, 
Some of the roads to these campgrounds are closed due to washouts. And so I know there's one that's a hike-in only, and there's another one where large vehicles can't access the road. So I would just make sure your list is updated to current conditions. And we should say, though, that this is advice for anybody who is trying to find campsites in the national parks. Yes. We learned this when we were in Canyonlands, again, in the Needles. Uh, we wanted to camp and we got nixed out. We were there early in the morning and there were, there were no sites left. Yeah. One second. Do you remember why we were nixed out? We, we were a minute late because... Oh. <laughs> In the grocery store in Moab, you couldn't decide which flavor of Cheez-Its to I don't, buy. <laughs> I don't think that was the only reason we were one minute yes, late. Yes, I, it was. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the hair straightener wasn't cooling off fast enough and no. we didn't leave the motel soon enough to go to the grocery store to get Cheez-Its. So you, you were you standing staring at the wall of Cheez-It flavors for like 10 minutes. I had to drag you out. Then we were following a car into the campground, the Squaw Flats campground, and they got the last spot. So we literally missed it by a minute. Well, it's not the Cheez-Its fault. It's actually <laughs> it's on that fault. particular <laughs> visit, it was both the Cheez-Its and Oreos. I was struck by all of the different variations of Oreos also. So just they have to stop this. Just original <laughs> Cheez-Its, original Oreos, make your purchase and get to the campsite. Anyway... We met a ranger who gave us a lot of good advice in the Canyonlands area of dispersed camping that's right outside the park uh, in the BLM land. So depending on what state you're in, definitely check out National Forest, check out Bureau of Land Management sites, and even state parks that are surrounding the national parks, because I think a lot of times you'll have better luck with those campsites and campgrounds than you might with the ones inside the national parks. All right, moving on to our next question comes from Shana, and she wrote, Have y'all ever encountered any of your fans while hiking or traveling on one of your trips? If so, what was the reaction? Asking because, stalker alert, I would totally nerd out if I happened to run into y'all on a trail. Thanks for sharing your life with all of us. Okay, first of all, Shana, I love the y'alls. Your y'all and Randall's y'all. This is why I love mailbag. All y'all are really great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the most shocking one for us, and pretty much one of the only ones, was last summer. We were hiking at Mount Rainier. We were in the Sunrise area. We were doing the Burroughs Mountain Hike. And we had come up to kind of the first resting point that had a viewpoint. And we had stopped to drink some water. And I think I took my pack off. And there were people hiking down. And all of a sudden, we heard this woman say, are you Matt and Karen Smith? Yeah, like like we were neighbors or something That's years what, ago and and we had completely forgotten their names and faces. I was about to launch into, "Oh yeah, how are you? Oh, it's been so I long." Know. Like That's I didn't what know. I too. I thought it was somebody we knew <laughs> yeah. or were supposed to know. But then I remembered, we have no friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just I I ran. <laughs> 
I ran away. And <laughs> no, left, you left. didn't. No, I didn't. Anyway, the woman's name was Amy, and she was so great. She was very excited to meet us. I still don't know how she recognized us out there on the trail, but I think, you know what I think it is, is because we pretty much wear the same hiking <laughs> clothes all the time. And have for a decade. Yes, and when we post photos, you have those tan pants, yeah. which you were wearing, and I had on black leggings. I think we, it's like our costume, and I think maybe that's how she knew who we were. I don't know. <laughs> I prefer to think of it as a uniform, not a costume. But and yes, I do. I do wash my uh, uniform regularly. <laughs> anyway, she chatted with us, and we we did a COVID selfie. Yeah, we we from, had our masks. From we safe distance. That's right. That was cute, and that was extremely unexpected for us to be out there on the trail. Another time, and these folks didn't recognize us from our faces, but we were in Crater Lake Lodge having a drink, and the lobby area where we were sitting was very crowded, and there was another couple sitting pretty close to us, and we started chatting with them about, you know, national parks and going to the parks and things like that, and then they asked us, how many parks have you guys been to? And we said, well, we actually, we've been to all the national park, national parks, and ca- they kind of started putting the pieces together. We were the <laughs> said, folks who wrote Dear Bob and Sue. And they said, are you are you Bob and Sue? Yeah, we are. We're Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm Bob and he's Sue. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Johnny Cash reference there. So uh-huh. anyway, yeah, and we did photos with them. Mm-hmm. They called their friends who were up in their rooms and they came down and we did photos with all of them. And so that was, that was really fun. It's so much fun for us. It's like, it's really... Fun, yeah, and oh, remember the time though? The other time <laughs> when we were in Olympic National Park, we were going, uh, we we're getting ready to do our backpacking trip, and we go in the entrance over by Solduck Falls, and the ranger who was at the kiosk, remember, he looked at my parks pass and driver's license because aren't you guys the ones who write the books about the national parks? We we're so flattered. I know when you held out your ID and he looked at it and he said, Matt Smith, are you the famous author? And you said, well, well, y- of course. Y- yes, 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 <laughs> yes, I am. And, and then you introduced me and you said, and this is Karen. And he was so nice, the ranger. And he said, wow, this is such an honor. And and he said, I love your books. And then we're like, oh, thank yeah, you. But it didn't feel quite right. Well, it was as we drove away and thought, there's so many Matt Smiths. How could he look at your name and think, are you the famous author? But I have to say, <laughs> the famous I, I was also, my head had puffed up a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I was to... thinking, wow, the ranger knows who we are. This is awesome. <laughs> it it didn't take long to figure out. We were happened to be with our friends Bree and Jeremy, and they were in the truck ahead of us. And they put the ranger up to this little prank. It was a complete joke, although it was funnier for them than it was for us. (laughs) Well, I could could also see them. They they pulled over and they're looking in their rearview mirror and they're trying to see your head swell up. Yeah. So that moment was dashed and it was a good lesson in humility because he had no clue who we were and he could have cared less. And well, and the other great (laughs) thing about that little prank is and Bree and or Jeremy, if you're listening, we still have to get you back. Oh, yeah. So, And we haven't yet. So Mm -hmm. you have that hanging over your head. 
That's uh, right. We're taking our time so we yeah. can think of the ultimate payback uh-huh, for that little uh-huh, prank. Yeah. yeah. But I have to say that was a good one for sure. Um, the other thing we also get a lot, we get a lot of false sightings. We we get messages all the time on Facebook and Instagram. Hey, were you guys just taking your photo in front of the park sign at Arches National Park? Or, hey, were you guys just on on a hike in Cuyahoga Valley and all these false sightings. We do get that a lot. Yeah, so there must be another couple or maybe multiple couples who look similar to us no. who are out seeing the, the parks. The answer is always the same. No, we were in our spare bedroom <laughs> recording podcast episodes. <laughs> maybe there's a guy out there with tan pants yeah. <laughs> who's trying to impersonate you. <laughs> that, that's great. I'm so sorry if that's if that's what you're doing that's with right. your time. You will be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> so I don't. Did we answer that question? I forget what the question was. I think so. But uh, Shana, thank you for the question. We are very flattered that you would like to see us on a trail someday. And who knows? Maybe that will happen. Maybe that will happen. Mm-hmm. All right. What's our next question? Okay. Our next question comes from Mason. Mason did not mention where he lives. Uh, He said, at the end of your American Samoa episode, you mentioned that if you weren't planning to see every national park, then you could probably skip it. I'm a person who loves the national parks, but I don't plan to see every single one. In your opinion, what are the parks that are skippable and why? In which parks did the cost outweigh the journey slash experience? Yeah, this is a hard one to answer in a public forum like this, because if we say, you know, a park's skippable, you know, people will get offended mm-hmm. uh, who like that park or live close by. And and look, it's it's a personal preference. Absolutely. Everyone loves different things. Yeah, that's so true. I saw a blog post by a man who had gone to all the national parks and he rated them from best to worst, Mm, which I know. Bad idea. I know. It's never a good idea. And one of his worst parks was Mesa Verde National Park. Oh, my goodness. I know. I was shocked because we loved, loved, loved Mesa Verde. We've been there three or four times now. So so the point of that is just that everyone has a different opinion. He said it was very boring. So obviously, he doesn't like archaeological ruins. Okay, that's his that's his choice, his privilege. But we we love it. And so I guess what we're trying to say is everyone loves different things. And so we could never say what parks are skippable. But but the second part of your question is answerable about what parks did we think the cost outweighs the journey? And of course, it depends on where you live. So the cost of getting to that place. This last episode of ours on parks above the Arctic Circle, Kobuk Valley and Gates of the Arctic, which was essentially a four-hour flight-seeing trip Mm -hmm. of those two parks, that was an expensive trip. That cost $4,000-ish. Hard to justify that. I agree. I think if you're not going to see all the parks, I think that is a huge expense for for very little time spent in the parks. I think that's hard to justify. Yet then there's other expensive trips. Another one in Alaska, for instance, uh, going to see the bears at, in Katmai and going to see Dick Prenicke's cabin in Lake Clark National Park. Those weren't cheap, but looking back, I think they were worth the expense. For us, those experiences were worth the cost. For sure. You know, someone had sent us a podcast topic suggestion, and that one was 
they wanted the whole episode to be about what are the worst parks. And we're not going to do that because, again, parks that we might have been disappointed in, other people absolutely love. But that's the great thing, right, is that everyone has a different experience in every park and people love different things. And I think that's what makes our national parks so unique. Well, and like we said in the answer to one of the earlier questions, so many of the parks exceeded our expectation that you can't really decide before you go if it's worth it. Right. And I would rather go to 10 places and two of them afterwards, I say they they just wasn't worth the expense or the time, but the other eight were fantastic. I, I think that's a good bargain. And the other thing is sometimes it's not just the park itself. It's the to and from. It's the adventure of going. So it's not always just the experience while you're in the park, but, uh, you know, the fun and enjoyment and the adventure of just doing the entire trip. I think that's a really good point. And uh, we had an email from a woman recently, and she was about to go on a visit to Mammoth Cave, and she was asking us if we did anything besides the cave tour, anything that we could recommend to her, which we did not. We didn't have time. And she came back and she said, you know, I don't have high hopes for this park. She said, I'm visiting all the parks, and I think this might be just a check it off the list park, but I never know what kind of adventure I'm going to have. And I think that is such a good attitude because you don't. You don't know what you're going to see. You don't know what could happen while you're there. So I think having an open mind and having really no expectation when you go is uh, is a great way to, to look at some of these park visits. Yeah, I agree. Okay, thanks so much for the question, Mason. Moving on to our next question. Okay, and that is from Brenda in Denver. And she said, I'm planning a trip to Charleston, South Carolina, and I'd like to visit Congaree National Park while I'm in the area. How many days do you recommend that I spend in the park? So before we answer that, we should just say for people who have never been to Congaree, it's located near Columbia, South Carolina, and it's about a two-hour drive from Charleston. So Matt, what would you say? How many days? I think it's a single-day park, and that, that's not because the park's not great. It's not a huge park, and it's the park itself. It's it's a swamp. I mean, that's what the, <laughs> that's what the park is. Remember, the ranger doesn't like it when you call oh, it a swamp. It's not a swamp. It's, it's a wetland. It's, it's a wetland. Matt, and, it's a biologically diverse river floodplain ecosystem. <laughs> right. So... My point being is there's not a for us there's not a lot of hiking opportunities in a biodiverse floodplain <laughs> ecosystem whatever it was. So um what we did which we really enjoyed we did the canoe trip. Yeah, we actually I think had a perfect day in Congaree. We spent the whole day and the morning was a ranger-led canoe trip, which I believe they do on the weekends in the spring and the fall. Tickets go on sale pretty far ahead of time, and they sell out because it's very limited. So if you're interested in that, get on the National Park website and check that out. But it was a three-hour canoe trip on Cedar Creek. And luckily, we were in the same canoe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Luckily for you, because... I kept paddling and wondering why we weren't going faster. And I would look back and you would have you had your uh, paddle dragging in the water. Not only were you not paddling, you were slowing us down. Well, here's the thing. I believe you said I was the rudder. So isn't that what the rudder does? It steers. Anchor. (laughs) You said I was an anchor. I I would never call you a rudder. (laughs) 
right. So first of all, we're getting ahead of ourselves. This trip on the Cedar Creek, it was, oh gosh, the scenery looked kind of hauntingly beautiful. I don't know how else to describe it. So there were these um, tupelo trees and bald cypress trees that had like that Spanish moss draping everywhere. And it had this kind of eerie look to it, don't you think? Willy Wonka's chocolate factory look. That's, <laughs> that was the color of the water. Yeah, it was very brown. But it was so much fun to see it from the water, from the canoe. And of course, it was ranger-led, so he was really helpful. He told us all about the area, and he he pointed out all kinds of wildlife. I know we saw turtles and owls and herons and snakes. Saw some snakes. He gave us uh, a really good tip. Right as we got into the canoes and we're on the river and ready to go down, what did he tell you, Karen? <laughs> <laughs> he said, so when you look down the river, you can see all these low-hanging branches that extend over the river. And he said, don't row yourself under those branches because there are snakes that hang from those trees. And they if you row under them and brush against them, they'll drop into your boat or possibly drop onto you. So, so Carlsbad Cavern's looking better. Yes. Why the hell did you take me to the swamp? Because you bought the tickets. It's not a swamp. It's a biologically diverse river floodplain <laughs> ecosystem. If a snake had dropped into our boat or even worse, dropped on me, that would have been the that end been of the everything na- yeah. as we know it. <laughs> the National Park trip. That's right. <laughs> it would have been over at that moment, everything. Um, but in defense of you calling it a swamp, it actually was called a swamp. In 1976, uh, this park was established as Congaree Swamp National Monument. So they called it a swamp. They did call it a swamp. And now, <laughs> I'm, and now I'm not supposed to call it a swamp. That's right, because in 2003, when it became a national park, they changed the name to simply Congaree National Park. <laughs> so that was our morning, and that it was it was amazing. Didn't you love it? It was a great day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so the answer to the question is one. Yes, one day. <laughs> uh, so I should say then we went to, they have a really nice new, what well, was new back when we were there in 2011, visitor center. And there are some hikes right from the visitor center. So there's a boardwalk loop that's about two and a half miles. We added on to that the Weston Lake loop, and then that total was about five miles. So that's how we spent the afternoon. And we felt like we saw it from the water. We saw it from a hiking trail. So we felt like we were one with Congress. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what you would do on day two. <laughs> yeah, so one day is great. But if you're interested in the canoe trip, I'd get online now and start checking that out. So thanks, Brenda. We hope you have a great visit there. Okay, our next question comes from Mitch in Arizona, and Mitch says, Hey, I'm a big fan of your books and podcasts, but my wife and I are perplexed by a lot of your trips. Why do you hate water? You visited American Samoa, Biscayne, Dry Tortugas, the Channel Islands, Everglades, and Voyagers, and you never scuba dived, kayaked, canoed, or paddleboarded. Why? I feel like you have missed the point of these aquatic parks. I understand time may have been a factor, but would you consider going back and trying to really experience them? Well, I think the nature of the question is kind of part of the theme that we keep saying in all of our episodes, which is 
everyone enjoys different things about the parks. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a water enthusiast, yeah, there's a lot of great water activities in these parks. Our thing is hiking. We like to hike. That's right. Uh, we're not we're not big water folks. <laughs> did, did you know we're from Kansas, Mitch? <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah, Which I'm, is about as far from major bodies of water as you can be in the lower 48. <laughs> I like to stay above the water. That's right. You know, back when we were planning uh, our trips to these ocean parks, it never even crossed our minds to uh, set off on a kayak or a canoe. I think when it comes to the ocean, we prefer to leave the boat driving to the professionals. I like it when there's a captain in charge. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> if you're planning to set off on a canoe or a kayak and take it out on the ocean and in these parks that Mitch had mentioned, you need to make sure you're an experienced boater and you know about the tides and about currents. I'm going to read something that Channel Islands posted on their website, and most of these other parks have the same type of warnings as well. Sea kayaking is a high-risk activity that has caused the death of park visitors and annually numerous near-fatal incidents with sea kayakers occur in the park. The challenging and quickly changing waters and at times extreme sea conditions and dangerous sea caves greatly add to the risks of sea kayaking in the park. Uh, and then it goes on and on, but you kind of get the, the gist of that. So what do park visitors who are visiting these ocean parks, if they're like us and they're not comfortable going on the ocean in a, a kayak or a canoe or a or stand-up paddleboard, what are their options? Matt, let's talk about that. Well, one of the coolest things we saw on our national park journey was when we visited Channel Islands. We took a boat from, I think it was Ventura, California, over to Santa Cruz Island. And, and on the trip out, we saw quite a show. About halfway out there, we stopped because there were all these squid in the water and the captain and the crew said they'd never seen something like this before. And it was a feeding frenzy. It was kind of weird. The big squid were eating the little squid. Circle of life. It was circle of <laughs> life right there. Yeah. So then. You know, this girl from Kansas had never even seen a squid before. And all of a sudden, there had to have been hundreds of yeah. them. Yeah. It was it was quite a sight. They were shooting their they shoot a thing out to catch their prey and Yeah, it was something to see. But my favorite was when we took the boat back and it was it was a dolphin show. Right. And the crew told us that the dolphin feed on the squid. So all those squid in one place and the dolphins figured that out and they were all hanging out and there were dolphins everywhere and there were little ones, like young ones. They called it a dolphin nursery. That was my favorite, seeing those dolphins come up out of the water, shadowed by their little mini-me's. Oh, my gosh. It was like being at SeaWorld, except our boat had stopped literally right in the middle of it. And everywhere you looked, there were dolphins. And that was an amazing experience. Yeah, it was. We should say that this tour that we did was run by Island Packers Cruises. Um, they took us out to Santa Cruz Island, and they dropped us off. I think we had about six hours or so out there, um, and we, we did some hiking. The tour company also offers other day trips to some of the other islands in Channel Islands National Park. 
And it's a great way to combine a boat tour with some hiking on the islands. Yeah, I enjoyed the hike there. I did too. That was a great day. Yeah. Then Mitch mentioned Biscayne, which is in Florida. Uh, Now, the Biscayne National Park Institute offers boat tours to various destinations. We did the tour to Boca Chita Key, and we were able to go up into the lighthouse there, and that was cool to see. Yeah, we hiked around the little key. It's not a very big key. The boat part of it was, you know, seeing the bay from the mainland out to the key. So that, that was a fun boat trip. Another one, Dry Tortugas, which is in the Gulf of Mexico, out there in the middle of nowhere. We took a boat ride from Key West on the Yankee Freedom 3. And that was about a two hour and 15 minute boat ride each way. So uh, it was a great boat ride. And then once you kind of get there to Dry Tortugas, there's not much land. Now, there are, there's some really shallow areas, which people like to scuba dive. And then, of course, Fort Jefferson is one of the islands that essentially is the national park. That was a very fun day. And they also, this boat tour also provided breakfast and lunch. And I have to say, it was a nice little bonus. They had cocktails available on the, on the cruise back. So that's our kind of yeah. <laughs> our kind of boat ride. Can we just hang out on the boat until, until it's cocktail hour? Instead of paddling, we would just like to look at the view with the cocktails. Um, and then another one that Mitch had mentioned, Voyagers a National Park, which is in northern Minnesota. There are different lakes that are part of the national park. We visited Cabotogama Lake and we did an NPS boat tour from the visitor center up there. And that was about a six hour tour with a stop at the Kettle Falls Hotel for lunch. Which is an interesting little spot. One of the few places in the United States where you can look south into Canada uh, because the way the border is there, it's kind of goes in and out of the islands. And so I think uh, it's actually from that that hotel you're looking <laughs> you're looking south and the little land right across the way is Canada. Anyway, that that was fun. And they took us through all of the little islands and and that was a interesting circuitous route. They told us some history of some of the settlers that had come to the islands. They showed us a couple of spots where eagles were nesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was that was a fun boat tour. It was. Another plus for these boat tours, as opposed to just taking off on your own, is that they either have rangers on board or they have naturalists on board. And so you're getting all kinds of great information while you are on your way to wherever it is you're going. So that was a plus too, because we learned all kinds of amazing things. <laughs> and then uh, briefly mentioning American Samoa. The ranger that we talked to there at the visitor center, she was cautioning us about getting uh, local charters to the other islands where there are also parts of the national park. Those local charters weren't Coast Guard approved. And so she said, you you just got to have to be careful when you do those because they may or may not have life jackets for you. They may or may not come back and get you. So we decided to forego that activity. (laughs) Yes. So thank you for your question, Mitch. I'm not sure after reading our books and listening to our podcast how you came away with the impression that we hate water because um, we don't hate water at all. In our Dory's Ho podcast episode, I think we mentioned that it was our favorite trip of all time, and that was 16 days either on the water or in the water. Lots of water on that trip. I was in the water more than I wanted to be. (laughs) And the last question you asked, do we have plans to go back 
and and see these parks again on the water, and uh, that would be a no. <laughs> we have no plans to do that. <laughs> but we, we never know what we're going to do next, so you might find us kayaking in one of these parks one day. Yeah, I would love to kayak on Lake Powell, which is in Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. That's been on my list for a long time. And I would also like to kayak in Apostle Islands National Lakeshore. I've seen some incredible photos of that park. We've never been there. And I think that looks like an amazing thing to do. I've always wanted to do a, a kayak trip in Glacier Bay National Park. So that might be also mm-hmm. something. Yeah, yeah. I, I would go with the ranger, though. Definitely. I think yep. I would go with uh, a guide on all of these just because of our lack of experience. <laughs> So that kind of answers your question, Mitch. Uh, we do like water. We just we just prefer being in a really big boat when we're out in open ocean. <laughs> yes. Guided by someone who has a license and knows what they're doing. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Our last question comes from Faith in Kentucky. And her question is, my husband and I hiked up to Mount LeConte through the Alum Cave Trail at Great Smoky Mountain National Park. It was definitely the most difficult but rewarding hike that we've ever completed in a day. What would you say has been your most difficult day hike that you've ever done? And would you do it again? Oh, wow. Well, we've done a lot of difficult hikes. Sometimes we make them more difficult because we're unprepared. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, we've done that hike that you mentioned, Faith, and it's a doozy. For those of you not familiar, to reach the 6,600-foot 6, summit of Mount LeConte, hikers have to climb over 2,700 feet and five and a half miles. So in total, it's 11 miles round trip. I remember you wanted to ride a llama down. I did. My legs were completely worn out. <laughs> I think maybe recently we had the hardest hike. I I don't know if I can speak for you, but <laughs> you la- can. <laughs> last summer we hiked Mount St. Helens, and that was a pretty tough hike. That was definitely the hardest hike I have ever done. Took us all day. Yeah. Um, So we're not going to go into any detail right now, Faith, because we have an upcoming podcast episode completely about Mount St. Helens and this hike that we did up to the rim of the crater. Now, I think a lot of people who listen to our podcast might not have even been born in 1980 when Mount St. Helens erupted, but it's a really fascinating story. So in our next episode, we'll tell you all about that hike and Mm -hmm. uh, what we liked about it, what was so (laughs) challenging, and it was a spectacular day. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad we did it. Not sure we need to do it again, but yeah, (laughs) we'll tell you all about that hike in our next episode. That's right. Thank you all for the great questions. If any of you would like to submit a question for a future mailbag episode, you can send it to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com. Or you can message us on Instagram at mattandkarensmith or on Facebook at dearbobns. Thank you all for listening to this episode, and a special thanks to all our friends in Belgium who have been tuning in week after week. I noticed it's been a while since you've asked listeners to leave some reviews on Apple Podcasts. What's going on there? Oh, you mean where I let them know how much their reviews mean to us? How reviews help people decide whether or not to check out our podcast? How listeners can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, even if they listen to our show on another podcast app? That? Yeah, that. (laughs) I was waiting for that. I'm just giving it a little rest. Okay, good. (laughs) 
If you haven't read our Dear Bob and Sue books yet, they're packed with information and stories about our visits to public lands with a lot more details than we cover in our podcast episodes. There are three of them in the series, and you can buy the paperback, the Kindle version, or the audiobook on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. Our show is produced by our very talented team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our cover artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. You know, it's funny, Matt. After all the time you spent weighing all the Cheez-Its options at the grocery store, the only flavor you ever buy is the original. Yeah, and who wouldn't want the original? <laughs> well, you might want to branch out a little bit. Try no, something no, new. No, they, they need to kill those other flavors and, and just go back to the originals. You're a purist. Yes. Yeah.